Hello, you're listening to Making It Count, a podcast that provides practical financial advice for every stage of life with a twist. We're your hosts, Christina and Will. We aren't financial experts. We're just like you, aka trying not to stumble our way to financial success. That's where our money smart friends come into the equation. You see what I did there, Will? Yes. I guess we need to add a bad pun disclaimer to our show description. Well, as long as we add a reality TV spoiler disclaimer as well. I'm there for that. You'll want to stay tuned for fun guest interviews, discussions around money taboos, and apparently corny jokes and Real Housewives references. Mm -hmm. That is so perfectly us. So together, let's make make it it count. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Making It Count. Welcome back, everyone. (laughs) All right, Christina. I'm a little excited, a little nervous about the topic today. It's something that a lot of people are talking about, especially Twitter. And we're going to get into cryptocurrency. It is a lot. Like so many people are talking about it. And I feel exactly the same way. I just saw a Pew Research study that says 27 million Americans have bought, traded, or used cryptocurrency. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And yet for everyone who understands cryptocurrency and blockchain and NFTs and all of it, I think there are a lot more people who are a bit perplexed by it, myself included. Yes, definitely. I think you are right. So, Will, I'm curious, have you ever done anything with cryptocurrency? Do you know, like, what is your knowledge base about crypto? I mean, I I don't have any. I have not. I have not personally gotten into it. Um, My mother-in-law apparently has. No. Yeah, I find that to be very interesting. Good for her. I don't know that she understands it, but she's gotten into it. If she's listening, she, I think you do understand it. Don't worry. She doesn't listen. And then a friend of mine, actually, just the other night, I was I was joking about something. And he's like, I own part of a Bitcoin. And that's really? the way he said it. And then he pulled up his phone and he was showing me. So were you surprised that that particular person have is participating in Bitcoin? Um, He said that a friend got him into it. So I feel like it's one of those things that like, if you know somebody who knows a little bit about it, that person kind of helps you and then you keep going. So maybe today, with the help of our friend, we will get into it. Maybe. Who knows? I know nothing about crypto. I know nothing about NFTs. I don't know. Like, I know people that do it, but not I enough. I love the phrase, do it. <laughs> it's not, I, know. I think it sounds really, really I bad. I know exactly. people who do it. <laughs> I know people that do it. The trade, trade. No, you don't. I don't know. I don't know. We are going to learn so much today, though, that I am very excited to impress all of my friends when I tell them all the cool things that I learned today. Okay, so because of that, we have a new friend that has come and is going to teach us all about cryptocurrency and all of these different things that we are very curious about. So Lou Grilly from PSCU. Welcome, Lou. Will you please introduce yourself to your listeners? And who are you and what do you do? Oh, so thanks, Christina. Thanks, Will, for having me on. I am a senior innovation strategist at PSCU over in St. Petersburg, Florida. That means that I help credit unions and community banks develop strategy around innovating cool things, which includes crypto. I first got involved in crypto around 2014 when a team of us applied for a patent. We were issued the patent to use blockchain for a credit card rewards program. Since then, I've invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I've spoken at conferences. I've blogged on the topic and I love to talk about it. Man, so you are a super early adopter on this. Yes. Yep. I didn't even know it's been around that long. <laughs> That's how my much how much I know about I know, it. For me, it's like, oh, it popped up in the last year yeah, or two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like saying 10 years ago it was 1990. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I still feel like it is. Is that okay? Mm, no. All right. Well, welcome, Lou. We are going to dive right in with some questions. So, Christina, why don't you get us started? Oh, I get the first one. All right. Well, since we know nothing about this, I think it'd be very helpful, Lou, if we start from the basics, like the most basic, because at least some of our listeners will need to know the definitions before we dig deeper, us included. So let's start at the basic. What is cryptocurrency? And that's a perfect place to start. So it, it's a form of money, a form of currency. It's kind of like the dollar, but it's digital. There's no paper version. There's no physical Bitcoin. And since it's digital, it's also encrypted, hence the name cryptocurrency. There's a huge difference, though, between the value of the dollar, which is controlled by our government, and the value of Bitcoin, the most popular of all the cryptocurrencies, is not controlled by any central organization. It's based on whatever the next person is willing to pay for it. As an example, two years ago, one Bitcoin was worth $5,000. One year later, it was worth $50,000, 10 times the amount. But what goes up sometimes comes down. Near the end of last year, it reached $64,000. Two months later, it was worth less than half of that, $31,000. But then came the Super Bowl. Four commercials for four different cryptocurrency exchanges. I don't know if you remember, there was the Don't Be Like um, Larry, starring Larry David. And then there was the famous bouncing QR code, which broke the internet. Which I did scan. I was one of those suckers and I did it and I scanned it and I couldn't even get in. Like I couldn't do anything. So many people were on There was it. a lot of people who got Genius. in at least before you and got a whole bunch of more people interested in cryptocurrency. Uh, something I got to clarify, you do not need to buy a whole cryptocurrency. You don't You don't need to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can buy in just like a $10 amount if you want. And there are many cryptocurrencies besides Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first, so it got a head start and it's the biggest. The second biggest is Ethereum. Uh, a lot of people just call it ETH. And there's many others though. There's Litecoin, Dogecoin, Bitcoin Cash, which is different than Bitcoin. In fact, there are around 9,000 different coins, different cryptocurrencies, and there are new ones being invented all the time. 9,000 different types of currency that or crypto? That's incredible. Like, I don't even know how to... I mean, I guess I know I've heard of Bitcoin. So that one I've heard of. And Dogecoin. But yeah, I, I've heard I, of those two. I guess kind of like your friend, I didn't really understand that you could buy a fraction of a coin. Oh, yeah. You can buy a little bit of a coin. A little bit of a coin. So I guess that would be a good way to start. Yeah, you don't have to buy a whole one. I don't have to be that. You know, I'm very, like, cautious. I mean, I, th I think of it as like a lot of the like that's the kind of the way we invest now. You don't have to buy a whole share of something. That's you true. just you put in what you can, basically. Yeah. There's usually a minimum, but you know. So I want to build off of Christina's question about the basics, staying at the basic level, and ask you to define blockchain because that's another word that gets thrown around a lot. And I think we kind of get hung up on these words. We don't really know what they mean. It's like all this new vocabulary. So can you give us a definition and explain what that is? And you're right. I think the vocabulary sometimes scares people off. So when talking about cryptocurrency, you hear things like Bitcoin runs on the blockchain. So I just want to peel that back for your listeners. A blockchain is simply a list of transactions, right? Somebody sold something, somebody else bought that something, and then it's recorded onto a growing list of blocks on a chain. But this list is not just in one place. It's replicated all across the internet. And any computer on the network, they're called nodes, can update the blockchain. The block, got to throw some more words at you. The blockchain is distributed 
and decentralized. Distributed, meaning there are computer servers, these nodes that are on the blockchain, all across the globe. And it's decentralized, meaning there is no owner. There's not one organization that's in control. Nobody owns the blockchain, which causes a little bit of a trust problem. So if anyone can update the blockchain and you can't trust that everybody's going to do the right thing, then you have a potential problem. Somebody goes to spend their Bitcoin on something, add that transaction to the blockchain, and then they go to spend the same Bitcoin again, it's digital, and try to add that to the blockchain. So, And that's called the double spend problem. The way blockchain solves the trust problem is called a consensus model. Every computer on the blockchain, every node in the blockchain validates every transaction, and they all have to agree on it. They have to come to a consensus. So the, the nodes on the blockchain would agree that that first transaction, that was valid, and the second one, they would reject it. So the blockchain is really good at creating trust where trust doesn't exist, but every computer is doing the exact same transaction. So that's super inefficient. When you hear about the huge amounts of electricity that's required to process a Bitcoin transaction, that's why this is happening, because you have these nodes all across the globe that are all doing the same thing. Wait, it takes ele wait electricity? So is it because of the servers that the blockchain is running from? These nodes on the blockchain are not just a computer, not just a laptop. These are roomfuls of computer servers running the software that specifically can validate the transactions and add transactions to the growing list of blockchain. And one more thing to clarify is there's not just one blockchain. So Bitcoin is on its own blockchain. Ethereum is on a blockchain. On that blockchain is a whole bunch of other things. And then there are several others, but Blockchains are not just for tracking cryptocurrency. There are privately controlled blockchains that are doing things like tracking romaine lettuce from the farm that it was raised to the store that it was sold in. There's a blockchain to track medical devices. There's a blockchain tracking music royalties. There are so many great uses for these nodes that are distributed across the globe that have inherent trust built into it. I heard, um, I read an article or somebody had told me that you could even use the blockchain in the future for like medical records and for titles for homes and cars. And it'll just live in the blockchain and anybody would be able to retrieve your like medical records at any different doctor's office. Is that something that might be used for in the future? Exactly. With the correct permissions, right? You don't want anybody to be able to grab your medical records, just you and your doctor. So I'm going to throw out more vocabulary words. So what in the world is a crypto wallet? And then what is Coinbase? Oh, Christina, you're really making me work here. I know. <laughs> All right. So a wallet. When you buy a digital currency, you got to put it someplace. You got something that can hold encrypted digital money. So you keep it in a crypto wallet. If you buy your crypto on Venmo, then Venmo becomes your wallet. But if you buy crypto at a cryptocurrency exchange like Coinbase, then you can either have the exchange hold it for you. Those are called hot wallets because they're on the internet. They're always accessible. But there's also these devices. They're kind of like thumb drives where you can take your crypto and move it off the internet into a cold wallet. Some people prefer these cold wallets because they can't be hacked since they're not connected to the internet. But you better never forget the password to that because you can't recover it. 
Or lose it. Exactly. (laughs) And since I just mentioned exchanges, I do need to talk about them. Remember, we spoke about that bouncing QR code that broke the internet during the Super Bowl. That was an ad for Coinbase, a cryptocurrency exchange, meaning that's where people go to buy, to sell. You can exchange your Bitcoin for Ethereum, et cetera, change your money, your US dollars for Bitcoin. There are hundreds of cryptocurrency exchanges around the world. Some of them are not so trustworthy. So you need to take care when you're looking at what cryptocurrency exchange you want to deal with. All right. So I'm going to make a wild guess and say that if our listeners have made it this far in the episode, (laughs) they may be interested in buying and selling crypto as a personal investment. If that's the case and they wanted to get into this, how would they get started? Two decisions that need to be made, where to buy it and what to buy. To make it easy, Venmo, PayPal, Robinhood, Cash App, a whole bunch of other different places all allow you to buy Bitcoin, in some cases, other coins like Ethereum, uh, and they make it really simple. Just get into the app, hit the buy button, say how much you want to spend. That's all you have to do. But there's limitations. A lot of them just have Bitcoin or just Bitcoin and Ethereum. You can't use your crypto to buy things. Um, You can't move your crypto from Venmo into a cold wallet, which some people do prefer to do. So, If you do want those, and and some people don't care about that, but if you want that flexibility, you don't like those limitations, then you buy your crypto from an exchange, like one of the ones that advertised on the Super Bowl. And then Coinbase, for example, allows you to buy up to 100 different cryptocurrencies. I mentioned there are 9,000. Coinbase offers 100 of those to choose from. There are trade-offs, though. Buying from an exchange typically has higher fees than buying them in someplace simpler like Venmo and PayPal. Oh, there's fees associated when you want to buy crypto. So if I want to invest $100, I need to make sure that I'm also thinking that I still have whatever percentage that that place is going to charge me to purchase it. Exactly. And when you sell it, there's also a transaction fee coming out of that transaction. Oh, interesting. So you got to keep that in mind when you're talking, when you're considering doing this. Exactly. Okay, so you've walked us through how we can get started, but is this something that I should even consider? Is it a little too risky or is this like, should I even get into it? Should you or shouldn't you? The the only answer I can give you is maybe, right? So you probably heard, we've all heard about people who've gotten rich off of Bitcoin. Yeah, a lot of those people bought Bitcoin two, three, four years ago, um, and then they, they saw that tenfold increase. Well, and they love to talk about it. You don't hear the people that bought Bitcoin when it was up at 64000 and then watch their amount of Bitcoin tumble down to $30,000, $40,000. And that's why I say, make sure you only invest what you can afford to spend. Another warning, we have data at PSU that shows that when Bitcoin reached its peak, around 64000 a whole bunch of people went out to purchase Bitcoin. It's kind of like when Powerball's jackpot gets to $100 million and everybody rushes out to buy a ticket. So was the jackpot of 50000 like not good enough? If you think that Bitcoin is something that you want to do, then yes, go for it. But make sure that you're comfortable with it. Only invest what you can lose. Watch it. And then if you're still comfortable with it, maybe invest a little bit more. But again, never more than you're willing to lose. I think that's interesting that people are willing to buy it when it was really high. It was almost like, oh, that many other people think it's trustworthy. So maybe that means I should do it too. I mean, there's in no way any investment advice happening, but I'm just saying the normal thing that you hear people say is 
buy low, sell high. So what means that herd mentality? If you're viewing it as an investment, I would think you wouldn't want to buy it at the high. No, but I'm thinking maybe people, it becomes trustworthy when that many people think it's trustworthy. It's like that herd mentality. Sheeple. So I'm good. I'm joking. It's all about FOMO, right? This fear of missing. Yes. Uh, it's going yes. up. It's going up. It creates a fervor. That is a real big thing in our society now. Yes, right? Absolutely. Sure is. So let's say I purchase crypto. How do I spend it? Like, how do I, what's the limitations with how to now utilize my crypto? So pretty frequent question. Can you spend crypto? The quick answer is Yes but it's limited and it's kind of difficult. So a little history first. Bitcoin was started as a currency with the intent that anyone who owned it could use it to make purchases anywhere in the world without the involvement of a bank or credit union, without the need for a debit or credit card. And it was supposed to be safer, right? Your your debit card can be stolen. Your Bitcoin that's in your wallet can't be stolen, at least theoretically it couldn't. But as Bitcoin became popular and its value kept fluctuating, mostly rising, sometimes uh, falling, two things happened. One, this constantly changing value made it really hard for merchants to accept Bitcoin. I don't know if you heard the story that Tesla was going to accept Bitcoin, then it's not going to accept Bitcoin, and then maybe it might again. So just imagine you have 50,000 worth of Bitcoin and you're going to spend it on one new Tesla. And then the next day that Bitcoin that you paid to the car dealer is worth 40,000 or maybe it's worth 60,000. How does the car dealer deal with that changing value? The other thing that happened is that people realized that they don't really want to spend it like dollars. They want to hold on to it because it might appreciate. At least it looks like it's been appreciating that. So with all that said, yes, you can spend it. You can spend your Bitcoin in the Microsoft Xbox store. You can spend it at overstock.com. Oh, you can spend it at one of your daily haunts, Christina. You can spend Bitcoin at Starbucks. Oh, man, that's you too. Mr. Will, who's sitting here with a Starbucks and didn't offer me any, but I'm, you know, I'm oh not going to. Hours ago. <laughs> um, oh, and fun fact, El Salvador, the country of El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender. And as part of that decree, merchants in El Salvador must accept Bitcoin for payments. And we're talking KFC and McDonald's and, wow. and Starbucks, et cetera. But here's a warning. Let's, let's come back to the US. If your Bitcoin has appreciated, you are on the hook. It's the honor system, but you're on the hook to report your gains to the IRS at tax time. And it's kind of a pain to do that if every day you're buying coffee with appreciated Bitcoin. Interesting. I haven't done my taxes yet, I think it's yet, so Will. funny that Tesla isn't accepting it. Me considering too. Elon Musk, because he was the one that came up with Dogecoin, right? I think so. Like he he was ma- he was making it a meme and the meme became like a thing. If I'm I might be getting it wrong. I, we'll probably get a bunch of comments that are like, no, Will, you're completely wrong. That's not how it happened. <laughs> I don't know. Or Lou will tell you. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it Wasn't it like a meme that, I don't know if he started, someone started the meme. I thought meme. Dogecoin was a joke. Yeah, but that, that's what a meme is. So Dogecoin oh. did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, grandma. In, interesting history. Dogecoin, yes, did start out as a joke. But the community around Dogecoin just kind of rallied around the coin. And then you might be thinking of Mark Cuban, the, the Shark Tank yeah. guy. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe more accurate to call him the, the Dallas Mavericks owner. Tweeted that this, something like, this is the one coin that people can use for transactions. And all of a sudden that made Dogecoin rise up to, I think it's the number 10 cryptocurrency as far as market cap, as far as total value. That's crazy. Well, first of all, I love Shark Tank. I'm glad we referenced it. It's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> but also to explain because I just realized you may not even understand the reference of Doge. Do you Have you ever seen like the Doge meme? 
I've seen the dog. Is that the dog? The, that's like the, the dog, dog with the funny face. That's yeah, yeah, like yeah. looking. Yeah, yeah. It's an old, old meme. Like it's that's like one of the original old memes. Meaning like five years ago old. Uh, original. Probably, no, probably a little bit older than that. Like it was one of the like you remember the original format of the meme, which is like white block letters yeah, and yeah, a picture. Yeah. And now memes have evolved into like anything. Yeah. But that was like one of the original kind oh, of. Oh, I didn't know that. Look, I'm even getting schooled on what a meme is. <laughs> yep, history of a meme. So I know that last season we did an episode about financial frauds and scams, which was very interesting. What should our listeners know about potential fraud and security risks associated with crypto? I'm glad you asked that because it's really important that your listeners understand the risk. Again, I'll say that. I'll say this again. There is way more interest than there is understanding, especially when it comes to the risks. So the first obvious risk, which is not fraud related, is just that depending on when you buy and when you sell, you can lose your money. So scams is the second thing to talk about. There are so many scams. There are dozens of websites. Some websites claim to make it really simple to buy cryptocurrency. Get this. Just give them your name, address, social security number, debit card number, and scan in your driver's license. By the way, you don't get any cryptocurrency, but now they have your identity and they can spend your money. There are scam websites that advertise a brand new coin. And if you hurry up and you get in now, you get in on the ground floor, which means you can make a lot of money. Remember I said that there are new coins being invented all the time, and there's a lot of scam coins that have been invented a lot of the time. Between Here's a um, stat to throw at you. Between October 2020 and May 2021, Americans lost $80 million in cryptocurrency scams. So... Just like, I don't know whether it was Will or Christina that said on that last episode of season two, when you see something that looks too good to be true, it probably is. That is absolutely true when it comes to the scams associated with cryptocurrency. Wow. 80, you said $80 million yes. scammed out. I mean, you just, you know, maybe don't buy it at a... What was that? Six months worth. Just wow. six months of time. Maybe stick to the reputable sites, you know. If you're starting out, maybe talk to your friends, figure out what's going on, you know, just. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. But as, especially like if they're asking for your social security number and your a, a scan of your ID and your debit card, probably huge red flags that that is not what you want to be putting out but there. But wait, in all fairness, the legitimate exchanges like Coinbase, right? So you have to pay for your cryptocurrency. So you give them your debit card number. They need to have a scan of your driver's license because they need to check out that you're a valid person, that you're the, the name on the account is really you, that you're not a made up or synthetic person. So the legitimate exchanges are asking for most of that same information. Because think of it like if you were to go to, let's say, E-Trade or Robinhood oh, yeah, or any so, one of these yeah. places just to do a standard and, you know, non-Bitcoin, non-crypto investment, they're going to ask for all of that too because it's the same thing that a credit union or a bank does. They've yeah, got to know true. who they're dealing with because there's tax implications and they also have to follow regulation. Wow. <laughs> you are smart, Will. So, Lou, what do you think is the biggest barrier to people who want to buy cryptocurrency but haven't yet? All right. I hear this term, so I'll, I'll use it, called the crypto curious. Something like 68% of all Americans are crypto curious, meaning that they kind of want to get into it, but they don't know where to start. And then they start doing a little research and, and they hear about a blockchain and, and things like that. And they walk away because they don't have a good understanding. So, I don't want people to walk away, which is why I'm happy that I'm hopefully helping your listeners to understand a little better so that they don't have this barrier to buying crypto. It, it, it can be simple, but 
make sure you go into it with your eyes open. Christina, are you crypto curious? <laughs> Should I put that in my, my profile? I'm sorry, is that a, is that a personal question? It's a very personal, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I am, I am entry-level crypto curious. You should start offering your children's allowance to be crypto. Who knows? Maybe our their app thing will, uh, will say I can give them bits of Bitcoin for taking out the garbage. I mean, that could be a, <laughs> it could be true. I think for me, the term coin feels weird. I don't know why, but. I'm just I'm just pin, I'm trying to pinpoint why why the vocabulary is difficult to grasp. I think crypto is easy for me to I kind of get that part of it. But when you say like coin, for some reason, it makes me think of like a physical coin. Right. And then I, I have a hard time splitting a coin. So, right. I think because a coin is tangible and you can touch it, but you can't touch it. Like, I think that's what like, yeah, like if you say a share of something, I can split that up in my mind. I can make that yeah. a portion of a share. But anyways, I'm off on a tangent. So there's another virtual product I want to ask about. And most notably, I have seen it pop up a lot on Twitter. I saw Gwyneth Paltrow, of all people, and some other celebrities, too, start hawking them. They're called NFTs, and they're a relatively new product. So can you explain what an NFT is? This might be a long one. So um, (laughs) so settle in here. Um, So first, NFTs stand for non-fungible token. So let's take that. Non-fungible means it's unique. See see if this makes sense. If I have a dollar bill and let's say I just swap dollar bills with you, I still have a dollar. I still own a dollar bill. To me, they're interchangeable. They are fungible. The NFTs are non-fungible. They're one of a kind. They can't be replaced by anything else. The T of NFT stands for token. The NFT is a token that represents ownership of something, some piece of digital art is what's typically represented by NFTs. And then to understand how NFTs work, we got to go back to our discussion about blockchains. Remember how blockchains were just lists of things that somebody sold and somebody purchased. And then that transaction was verified or validated and then added to the blockchain. So the Bitcoin that was sold and then bought represented by a token. So the T of token. Now, instead of thinking of it for cryptocurrency, thinking of it for the ownership of artwork, of some piece of digital art or a piece of music or something like that. So let's say Christina creates a piece of digital art. That art, which is stored in a file, right? That file can be copied countless times, but she creates an NFT, which represents the single ownership of that piece of art. She sells the NFT, the ownership of that piece of art, for like 50 bucks. And somebody out there thinks that it's going to be worth 10 times that in a few years. So they invest in buying the NFT. So the NFT represents ownership. When it comes to art, it's typically a speculative investment. Like Bitcoin, it's a spec- is somewhat of a speculative investment. And just like in the real world of modern art, the world of art within NFTs there are some famous artists there. There are names like Beeple, Bored Ape Yacht Club, Crypto Punks. I know these names don't sound familiar to most people, but art from these artists are selling at crazy amounts. One of Beeple's work sold for $69 million. The NFT representing ownership of that work sold for $69 million. Four of the pieces created by Crypto Punks sold for $7 million up to $23 million. And NFTs are not specifically limited to art. There are NFTs for video clips, for tweets, like Jack Dorsey's initial tweet on Twitter. And I want to talk about real estate. So I mentioned I live in, or I mentioned I work in St. Petersburg. I live in St. Petersburg. There's a waterfront community just outside of where I live, a couple of miles from my house called Gulfport. And there was a house in Gulfport recently, this was February, that was sold as an NFT. 
the NFT represented ownership of the house. I think this was the first in the US to be sold this way. So the NFT, which represented ownership of the house, was auctioned on an NFT site. The transaction was paid for using Ethereum and the transaction was recorded on a blockchain. There, I just brought a whole bunch of things together. Just like investing in cryptocurrency, if you think you're going to get rich off of NFTs, there's a whole bunch to beware. Got to talk about counterfeits. And one of my other favorite topics is Disney. So Disney, end of January, released a set of NFT artwork. They were called Mickey and Friends. So think of them like character trading cards. Each trading card had associated with it a specific uh, custom music and the back of the card, it's digital, but the back of the card had that character's autograph. The series sold out within minutes. And within hours after that, there were pirated versions available for sale on other NFT platforms. And in fact, the largest NFT trading platform is called OpenSea, O-P-E-N-S-E-A for C. They admit that 80% of the NFTs created on its platform are fakes. So if you're an artist, this is a great way to make money, right? So you establish ownership of your own art, of your own music, and you make money from it. But if you want to be an investor, you need to be able to spot fakes and you need to be really, really good at predicting which pieces of art are going to be the ones that appreciate. I mean, that's like... I don't think I've ever considered the idea of, you know, collecting art from like a high dollar standpoint. You know, we can, you know, I've bought art before, but not like super high dollar. Mm -hmm. So, well, I've, I told you last time that I buy my art from Kirkland's and Target. So <laughs> I don't see those appreciated. <laughs> I don't, I don't think those are going to appreciate. I don't think so either. But like, I guess what I don't understand is, okay, I have this piece of, I have an NFT of a piece of art. How do I show people it? Like, how, how do I, I don't know, like, I can't hang it on my wall. What, what do I show for it? You can show the art on your wall. You can have a, you can show it on your phone, but you can also display the NFT on your phone, on your computer, or, or a digital screen on your wall showing that you have ownership of a crypto punk that you paid 23 million for. I think that on Twitter, you can get like, you can use it as like your profile picture. There's some, there's something you can do where you can display it there and show that you have ownership of that on Twitter. So the house example that you gave, is it almost like the NFT is like the title for the house? So to get into a little bit of details, because I was curious about this too. So for, for those listeners who are not from Florida, in the state of Florida, the county property appraisers office records deeds. And then when a sale happens, then they record a change of deed and this doc stamps and they're pretty pricey in Florida to record that. What the owner did was they transferred ownership, they did a change of title, to an LLC. The house was then titled under the LLC, the NFT. Oh my, this is being really bad with acronyms. <laughs> no, no, this is interesting. Yeah. The NFT represented ownership of the LLC. So when that NFT transaction happened, that was not recorded as a change of deed because the ownership is still that LLC, just the ownership of the LLC changed. So hands. they didn't necessarily buy the house. They bought the LLC that owns the house. With cryptocurrency. Using Ethereum for there payments. There you go. Wow. And I don't think this is going to be the last one we see like that. Yeah, I doubt it. So now from the investor standpoint, let's say I buy an NFT. I'm not going to, but let's just say I did. I could technically then resell that NFT. Like I could sell my token back into the marketplace and try to make money off of it if I could. 
And that's exactly what these art investors are doing. They're hoping that they paid the 23 million for a crypto punk, that that's going to be worth 68 million in a couple of years. They hope somebody will find that that piece is valued at that, I guess, right? I find it very much less exciting than art, though. (laughs) Like, not that it's not art. It's definitely art. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, like, in the art world that I'm familiar with, a lot of the, the fun of it is, like, why something is valuable. So, for example, the Mona Lisa is valuable mostly because it's been stolen a hundred thousand times. Like that, because of the lore behind it, it's now this prized piece. Even though when you walk into the room to see it, it's about twelve inches long. Like it's very small, small painting. And next to it are these gigantic masterpieces that are incredible. Not to say it's not incredible. I'm just saying it's, it, there's so much. There's so much interesting history. So to see it kind of going this other direction is very weird. So that's think more like modern art. And don't just limit yourself to visual art, also music and video clips and other collectibles, like like the Disney character set. That one was wild. I remember that one. That was very, very weird because here in Florida, obviously, everything's about Disney. So there's a lot of... But it's the same thing. People do that at Disney World, though. I mean, you remember Christina at Epcot when the... There was the figment popcorn bucket came out. It was just a... It was a popcorn bucket. That's all it was. Yeah. And there was a three or four hour wait for the popcorn. Oh, I think it was bucket. longer than that. Longer. And then they were longer. selling them on eBay. They just turned it. But some people would think that that $25, the four hours that they sat in line is the investment. Same thing. It's the same thing, except the bucket is tangible. That sounds more like a beanie baby. <laughs> that sounds more like a beanie baby that I we have thought. some beanie babies. Would you like to buy some? They've appreciated in value. What no? are they, $5 instead of $2 now? <laughs> Lou, I've got a Princess Diana Beanie Baby. Do, do, do you have you like, like a special one though? There's like the special I one. I don't know. But what if I made an NFT out of it? Like a picture of it? Yeah. And then I could sell it. Maybe if that's the buy, next if iteration buy it, I, I guess, of a I guess baby. the answer would be if somebody wants to buy it, yeah. then sure. <laughs> Lou's nodding his head. He's like, yeah, I guess <laughs> sure, so. Sure, I guess. All right. <laughs> All right. So this was incredibly helpful, Lou. Thank you so much. So now we're going to turn to our rapid fire round, which I think will be a little bit more difficult for this episode, but it's called the Making Account Essentials. And Will, you get to kick this one off. Okay. So there's an- another type of crypto called stablecoin that I've been hearing about. What is it and how does it differ from other cryptocurrency? So um, the, as the name implies, it's a newer newer form of cryptocurrency that is intended to not fluctuate in value, hence the name stablecoin. It's typically pegged to the US dollar. So the value doesn't rise and fall. It's not for investment. It's intended to be easier for things like cross-border payments, sending money overseas, lending, purchases, financial activities where you don't want changes in value. Uh, One of the differences where we spoke about Bitcoin doesn't have an owner, doesn't have anything backing it up. Stable coins do have an owner. There's an issuer that makes sure that tries to make sure that the value of the stable coin remains stable. All right, Lou, on the lighter side, what is the funniest misconception or misunderstanding that you or someone that you know has about crypto? So I got to share a story. Unfortunately, it does. It's it may not be funny after you hear it, but (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have to talk about scams because this was interesting. Have you ever heard the show Squid Games? It was really popular. It is a really popular Netflix. I started to watch it. It got a little too gory for me. 
I didn't even watch some, it. Some some programmer started a new coin. Remember, I spoke about this new coins being invented all the time, and some of them are scams. So this programmer started a new coin. He didn't intend it to be a scam. It was a joke. It was a penny per coin. Anybody can buy it. And he called it a squid coin. It was not associated with Netflix. It was not associated with the series. But a Reddit group caught on, talked about it, and in less than a week, over 4,000 investors invested in squid coins and they drove up the value from a penny to $2,861 per coin. Oh my and God. And the developer just looked back and could not believe that this happened. So he shut down, he shut down the site and walked away with $3.3 million. And by the way, that's real money, not squid money, which as you can imagine, became completely worthless. Oh my gosh. Squid that's- coin. Wow. Google squid coin and you can see some of that history. <laughs> That's wild. So it would be funny, except a lot of people lost money. That is part of that would uh, 80 million. I mean, it's kind of funny still, though. I'm not, the, you know, it's not people losing it's money that, isn't funny. A scam isn't Reddit funny. culture, though. That happened with. But the... it's just it's it's almost humor. You almost kind of have to laugh at it because it's like it was based off like this fairly odd, weird show on Netflix. I don't know. That is that is bizarre. Yeah, but I, but I think again, it's that Reddit culture that that shot up uh, game. Are you GameStop. a redditor? I am not. No, but the whole and, GameStop and thing. AMC, they all like, come and together. And AMC, and they all yes. go on Robin Hood, and yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, we've talked about how cryptocurrency is constantly evolving. There's new things happening, like stablecoin, like Squidcoin. <laughs> what do you see coming in the future? Oh, so you want me to look into my crystal Pull your ball. Yes. crystal ball out? <laughs> all right, all right, Madam Leona. What do I want to start? So it's kind of boring to talk about regulation, but there's a lot of activity going on right right now. The White House just issued a administrative order, an executive order, to look at putting in place regulation at the federal level. I believe this is a good thing because regulation creates trust, which makes it easier to use cryptocurrency for more pur- purposes, like purchasing things. I see a future where using cryptocurrency allows you to buy stuff from anywhere in the world, from any merchant in the world, using the same cryptocurrency. I easily see getting loans in cryptocurrency and being able to make loan payments in cryptocurrency. I definitely see real estate, car buying, boats, other physical things moving to the blockchain with purchases using cryptocurrency for payments. And I definitely see blockchain being used for many other areas where security and proof of ownership is important. And then we spoke about digital wallets that store our Bitcoin and NFTs. I think there has to be a lot more access to digital wallets, digital wallets that are a lot easier to use, that are a lot more accessible, that are a lot more intuitive. And unfortunately, when looking into my crystal ball, this topic is evolving so quickly that there's really no telling where it's gonna go. So a random question, this is not in our rapid fire round, so I apologize. Because it popped in my head, if we're talking about using crypto more and more and more, because it seems like it's, it is going that direction, especially if, if regulation comes in and there's trust created, does that sort of threaten the idea that the, the, the current way that we view money where we have credit cards and debit cards and there are companies that back up those credit cards and debit cards, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, whoever else, does that kind of threaten the, the business that they're in right now? Potentially, there's some movement of payment from a debit card to a cryptocurrency. But go go back in time. This is where I have to put my history hat, my payments geek hat on. So we used to just have cash. 
and cash and checks. And then we added credit cards because credit cards came before debit cards. Actually, then we had um, ATM cards, ATM only cards. Then we added debit cards. Then ACH came along in the late 70s, early 80s. So now we had direct deposit of our paychecks instead of grabbing our paychecks on Friday and then running down to the record store, showing my age now. And um, then uh, ACH became same day ACH. And then real-time payments came along. And now cryptocurrency payments came along also. Each time the the previous thing didn't really go away. Yeah, this is somewhat of a decline in checks, but checks have not gone away. So I don't see anything going away. There's organic growth in every form of payment. Cryptocurrency is just going to allow us to do things like move money around the world faster, easier, hopefully safer and more secure. Yeah, it just, it just popped into my head because I know that that's a huge industry is those cards. All right, Lou, thank you so much for being with us. I think that we have definitely learned a lot today. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Will. We, I've learned so much. Thank you so much, Lou. So now is the time when we give you the opportunity to promote yourself and let our listeners know where they can find you. So please take it away. Okay. And so, again, I appreciate you letting me talk to your listeners about Bitcoin and, and the risks associated with it. If you want to continue this conversation with me, if you are on LinkedIn, I'm Lou Grilly, or you can DM me on Twitter. I'm also Lou Grilly there. Perfect. And thank you again so much for coming out here. And we hope to have you on future episodes. I hope to be invited back. Thanks, guys. All right, Christina, it's time for our favorite segment. What What did did we we learn learn today? today? Oh, my gosh. What did I not learn today? Well, I don't even know how to, like, encompass everything that I learned. First of all, I learned that I'm slightly crypto curious. (laughs) Are you you crypto curious, Will? I might be a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It's not so scary anymore. I think I got so hung up on all the vocabulary and 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 all of the risk associated with it that I I was so scared to even consider it. But today really kind of like opened my eyes to how it isn't so scary and that it it could be a possibility and and the future is crypto. Yeah, I think for me, it's just like a testament to how wild things are on the internet. Mm -hmm. But no, it's definitely less scary. I think I learned a lot about I think it cemented what NFTs are in my head. I knew what an NFT was. I knew what I it means. I've seen it. I've kind of gotten an explanation, but it cemented in my mind. Of yeah. like, okay, that's what it is. That makes sense. Like I have a better understanding of what an F- NFT is, but I still don't understand the wildness of it, I guess. It's, 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 it is wild. I guess you're going to have to make one. Sell it. <laughs> I'm telling you, the beanie baby. Maybe I'll do it and I'll make a million dollars and then I'll say, bye, Will. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll finally invite you to my house. I don't know if a million dollars is going to settle the rest of your life. <laughs> That's true. No, to it's tell not. You. We did learn that in our retirement episodes. Before we end this episode, we, you know, we always like to give our listeners a resource so they can make a count in their lives. And today we have a great one. And what is it, Will? Yes. So today we want to highlight another past Making It Count episode since we talked about investing in crypto. It's actually the first episode we ever recorded, Retirement Strategies for People Under 40. Such a great episode for that age group and really makes the most out of their savings and investing. And you pair that with a more risky cryptocurrency investing with a more stable strategy like contributing to your 401k. Yep. And producer Lauren has put a link in the show notes as always. And thank you guys all for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Making It Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count. If you learned something new, we're inspired to reach your financial goals. Or just found us entertaining. Please subscribe, share, or rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making Making It It Count. Count.